right, I've got a very exciting guest this week. I've got MKBHD, and I want to spend as long as I can without talking about any current phones. I mean, I'd love to just kind of hear more your thoughts on technology and like the world in general, like how you've been looking at it the whole time you've been creating your videos and where you think it's going in the future. Yeah, that's kind of the lens we look at it through. So like tech exists to sort of help us do things or whether it's creating or editing or working. And so when we evaluate new tech, if we're reviewing it, it's just looking at it through the lens of does it help us do that and sort of get out the way beyond that. And uh, so that's like the, that's the broad brush version of it is just how good has tech gotten lately that it kind of feels like it is helping us to do what we want to do better and actually trying to help us do those things before we know we want to do them. But yeah, it's been, it's been pretty exciting for the last couple of years. I think we all talk about a bit is like how much it distracts us, how much like the kind of good, the good and the bad. Do you ever feel that sort of pull of like, I just check my status update uh, too many times and like looking at my faves too much? Yeah. I mean, I, I was just at the airport and I, my flight was delayed three hours and it was kind of like, well, what else am I going to do? So uh, I was doing some writing, but then I just kind of fell into that little loophole for a little bit where I'm just, you just cycle back and forth between like four apps. But I feel like I, I try to get better at not doing that as much. The best is when you cycle through the same app, like you check, there's nothing new, you quit it, and then you open the same app again. And you're like, it's like opening the fridge. If, if my internet's down, I'm like, well, I guess I, I, something's wrong with my phone. I can't check the internet. Might as well check Twitter to kill some time. Do you, do you listen to any podcasts? I have this big thing I think about a lot that like the podcast world and the YouTube world in, in technology anyway, don't live together a lot. Like they kind of like do their own things. Are you into podcasts? I, a little bit more recently, actually. So I, I hadn't listened to pretty much any podcasts until this year. And then this year I started finding like two or three like pretty regular ones. My favorite right now is the Reply All podcast. I'm sure most people have heard of it. And then there's a couple around it. There's some sports ones, but generally, yeah, it's, it's like a commute to work. It's better. It's like replacing when I'd usually listen to music when driving basically well the, the worst thing that happened to me with that is now i forget to listen to music <laughs> like I, I have so few new songs that i like because podcasts are long you know it's like an hour or or at least half an hour and then all of a sudden that's you know five good songs you didn't listen to in that time yeah yeah i got i got a pretty good rotation of like songs i'm i like like to listen to for for the most part for for driving and stuff like that but yeah podcasts have lately replaced that well, and a thing that I, I always miss once I do, since I do both, whenever I do YouTube videos, I'm always missing the time. I feel like, wow, 10 minutes is not very long. But like, since that's like the whole world that you've done, how, do you feel like you're leaving much out of a video or can you usually get everything that you actually wanted to say into those? Uh... I've thought about that a lot lately. I is like something we work on is information density and trying specifically to fit as much information in as short of a time as possible in sort of a useful structured way. And that's why I like have to write things down and sort of reorder them and shuffle them. And hopefully I can compress it down. But we also have this thing we do at the studio where we'll like, we'll have pretty much the the whole shot list and like how long, you know, the A roll and everything talking. And then all of us will guess how long we think the video is going to be. And we're all usually under the actual number. It usually ends up being longer. 
but when you watch the video, it kind of doesn't feel like an immense, like long time when you're right. watching it. So like a six minute video kind of feels kind of short at this point. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like normal is like eight to 10 is kind of what I'm starting to get used to. That's usually what I'm clicking on or what I'm releasing. Yeah. And even like for a review, that might seem kind of short. Like a, a lot of the, the flagship videos on my channel are review videos of stuff and like a a nine minute review would feel kind of short, I think. And then like yeah. a 15 minute review feels normal. Well, and then for me, when I'm like excited about the next film that's coming out and I want to know everything just for myself and I'm like looking for my news in podcast worlds, one hour is pretty short. Yeah. <laughs> There's the the talk show with John Gruber. It's like often like a two and a half to three hour show. But, yeah. Uh, that's why I love having both of them exist. So when I'm editing photos, I can listen to podcasts. That gives me a lot of time to take in audio content then when I edit a video, I got to, I got to completely focus. So. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. I, the only time I get to listen to stuff is while I'm like coloring and maybe a little bit of like general, like laying down shots. But for the most part, I have to be listening to my own voice. But yeah, uh, I think I, I probably could, I probably could listen to podcasts while editing a little too. I have actually done the thing where I am wearing my over ear headphones working on my edit and then I have an AirPod in listening to a podcast, Whoa. which is, it's, that's, that's the symptom of modernity, uh, an advanced with level. but I'm probably just ingesting no information as a result <laughs> of it. What are you excited about in 2018? Like in the general direction of where things are going, what are some of the bigger themes that you're seeing that have been really fun and, and looking good in the future? Yeah. One of my favorites, especially lately, and I've kind of, I've talked about smartphone cameras before and how much I like them, but specifically computational photography you can't it's no longer possible to ignore how important software is to the camera experience especially in a smartphone and i think a little while ago you could kind of just assume like a lot of these cameras are pretty similar you you get what you see at first glance you take a photo you see it it is what you see is what you get and it's over a lot of smartphone cameras now you take a photo and there's some processing involved there's some HDR that you have to wait for. There's more going on, portrait mode, night sight, especially is something I've been trying a lot more um, with all these night modes for low light. There's just a lot of interesting things happening. I don't know how loud that construction noise is. Um, <laughs> no, but a lot, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cool software processing things happening in smartphones that are actually interesting enough that it's sort of distracting me from like the photography I usually fall back on, which is a real camera. So I'm just kind of taking a lot more photos with my phone now. Well, yeah, that's actually one thing I was wondering. When you do pick up a real stills camera, like you talk a lot about your, your reds and stuff, but for stills, what do you like? I've seen your Hasselblad kick around a few times. Yeah, this is, well, this is my, this is my baby. And it's not a good, I have to use the right words. It's not necessarily a good everyday camera. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun photographer's camera in that, like, you have a shot in mind and you, you take a second, you pause, and you think about, like, framing and and the composition as opposed to just like picking up the camera autofocus firing you got the shot like it's not that kind of camera so that's why i like it but for those like pick up and shoot like i'm I'm always back to my phone for that kind of thing it it like slows you down in a good way like you have to take a minute and think is this worth creating a hundred megabytes of new data because yeah that's the for anybody listening that's the x1d that you're just looking at um and i was actually shooting with that uh yesterday and i was i was doing it in the way that felt the best, like what it's made for of like wandering around because we we're, we're traveling around New York and just like travel tourist photos. Like this moment looks beautiful to me. It's not an important shot. Like it was, it's not for anybody. Yeah. And I take it. And then I know that what I'm bringing home is this huge file with 
infinite color depth. There's never a concern about how big I can print it. And I want to see these worlds come together because now what started to happen is when I'm taking the photo on my, I mean, especially on my iPhone, like the 10s is what I've used the most lately. The instant preview, since it's doing a lot of that HDR on the fly, immediately before I've taken the photo, it looks so much better than the much more expensive cameras. And I know those sensors are better. I know they can capture more data. They can do more with it in the long run. But like I, I did some tests recently where I was looking at what is the maximum dynamic range you can extract if you just sort of take a normal exposure so that the image looks correct. Yeah. And with my Canon anyway, actually, and also the Sony, I wasn't able to recover as much in the highlights as what the HDR is doing on the cell phones. And so like, I know it is a better sensor, but unless we get that kind of processing, it's never going to... Yeah, the multi-frame. And I, I thought about, so not only that, like all the multi-frame HDR and all the sorts of things that actually give it like literally better dynamic range, but also uh, like the quick on the fly, like editing and sharing experience. Like mm-hmm. I kind of, so the the Samsung Galaxy camera, I think is what it's called, came to mind. But I was kind of just picturing in my mind, like the dream camera today would be like a an X1D or maybe just like a 1DX or something, like a, a really good sensor. <laughs> and then put like a, like a smartphone, like an iPhone XS or a, a Pixel on the back where I can then edit and I have LTE and I can just like, yeah, toss it in Lightroom for a couple quick things and then share that. Like that image would be fun. But yeah, that that experience is not quite what we have yet. Well, and I got a lot of pushback from like on the the video that I did talking about this, I got a lot of pushback from, you know, like professional photographers that love their expensive camera that they invested a lot in. They spent a lot of research buying it and they know that the hardware is better. But it's you can't deny all the things you're just talking about, like that ease of posting and that, you know, I think there can be a bit of a reputation that it's like there's professional photographers. You can do a lot of things to make a living taking photos or they can just be really important to you. And sometimes getting the best photo possible with the minimum effort is really, really important. Sometimes that is the priority, you know. I would love to see things like, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how they could do it. Like when you take a photo with that X1D, you notice the time it takes to have all of those pixels even just read out to the, put through the buffer. There's like a perceptible time where you're waiting for it. And I couldn't imagine it doing what the iPhone's doing, like 60 frames a second, basically, and and uh, capturing what, like a dozen of those or something. And same with the pixel. Yeah, you'd end up having to think a lot more about processing power in these these cameras. And like we we focus so much on, oh, the neural engine and the image processing pipeline and the, the A12X and all that stuff. But like, we don't really think about that as much in the 5D. I mean, we do want to, we want to, you know, a fast multi-frame. A lot of people do sports photography and you want it to be able to shoot quickly. But beyond that, it just kind of ends at that sort of speed. So having all those algorithms that are running and all the computational photography would require a lot of additional processing power that I guess they just don't really focus on yet. So we don't have yeah. it. Well, I, I mean, I mentioned you sometimes run into that with the red too. Like the thing I think about when I, you know, I don't shoot on kind of cinema style cameras like that. When I look at a red and I see the size of the battery and that you're getting a kind of similar amount of battery life that you would out of a mirrorless that is, you know, a, a third the size of the battery. Um, it's just really interesting seeing how much more computing you have to throw at that extra quality, right? Like all that raw processing, all that added bit depth, that stuff doesn't come for free, right? So 
it, and the fan that's running. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how often the fan runs on a red. But. It's pretty. It's it's kind of just like a computer in a in a little box, and then you attach. Obviously, it becomes a camera when you build it out. But yeah, the fan used to. It used to be more of a problem. I when I was shooting on like the Scarlet and and cameras like that, the last gen of the bodies back in the day. Like if you shot for too long, uh, and then you stopped recording, it would try to keep it quiet while you were recording, and then as soon as you stopped, the fans would shoot up and try to cool everything off and then you hit record again and the fans die down so it was kind of like an like a weird clunky old school experience keeping everything cool but it has gotten better so i'll give them credit for that they do well now that you have a bit of a team i can see how i can see how you would work thread and get things done but like when you're doing it on your own was it hard like always manually focusing kind of just needing to check on so many things on your own so you would think, but actually I, and I think at first it was a little more difficult, but I very quickly got used to the couple of main things you have to get right. And then the benefit of shooting raw is all those things you don't have to get right while shooting. So I would focus on like framing and composition and exposure really, and depth of field. And that's about it. Everything else, like, especially when I go to an event, like the lighting is out of my control, the color is out of my control, all that stuff. Mm-hmm knowing that I can adjust that later and actually dial it in and focus on that later helps me just stick to the basics and get that stuff right. So I think it actually turned out faster in the shooting process for me, but I, it's definitely a much longer editing process to do that stuff after the fact. What's the last camera you were using before Red? Um, so I came from a C100, and then before that it was a 5D Mark II. So it was it was pretty quickly stepped up, and I only used the C100 for like a year. So it, it pretty quickly stepped up from like high-end DSLR that happens to do video to like straight to cine, cine camera and, and straight to the red. So one thing I've always wondered, I mean, I don't get any indication that you would, but do you ever think about doing any other kind of filmmaking with the skills that you're acquiring here? Like, obviously, you know how to make things look good, you know how to shoot, you know composition. Do you ever imagine a day like 10 years from now where you're like, make a short or do something more traditional filmmaking? Uh, yes, that is something I think about, especially because, you know, taking, you know, this equipment everywhere and these cameras and just shooting things that aren't my normal topic or the normal subject just for fun, mm-hmm. that, like, gets the gears turning and that's what has me thinking about, like, shooting, like, documentary style or, like, a more traditional short or something like that. Um, but I think just in this time, like, we're so busy with, all the tech yeah, that's yeah, coming yeah. out now, it's it's been a, a pretty hard focus. Well, it's almost like your car videos have started giving you a bit of that opportunity. Like, that's when you can kind of open up a little and... Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's exciting to have, like, other things I'm interested in shooting videos about. Like, there's tech, obviously. And, like, especially right now, like, 90% of it is smartphones. So it just kind of seems mm-hmm. redundant to just keep making a phone video. But, yeah, like, the car videos are really exciting. And especially when it's a... That's something we've learned a lot from because we've only done like three car videos total. But the subject you're shooting is so much bigger (laughs) and the environment you're shooting in is so much more vast and dynamic and interesting. that It's a completely different video. So try controlling that lighting when it's on a (laughs) on a whole car and then a whole street. Yeah. Much more of a challenge than just a little fun here in the studio. Well, that's why I'm always like I'm so impressed with people like Casey Neistat being able to put out beautiful stuff often. I think people underestimate how challenging it is to make something look really good quickly and and regularly. It's one thing to like 
really take your time. Like, I feel like it's kind of cheating when I take a week to make a video compared to that. Some people are able to like put it out in 24 hours. How long is kind of your normal turnaround on most of these videos? Yeah. So, I mean, if you go from like beginning to end of like from pre-production and like writing and like actually evaluating a product all the way till when it's published, you could say it's anywhere from five to 10 days, depends on what the Mm -hmm. product is. But the actual production itself uh, is usually a one or two day thing, one or two days of shooting and then like however many hours it takes to edit everything. But yeah, again, it depends pretty hard on what video it is. If it's just a talking head of like me ranting to the camera about something, that's that's only like a 10 hour day and the whole thing is done. But if it's a whole review with all these different shots and and explanatory pieces and different illustrations of things like that whole video might take like four or five days. What's the longest you've gone? Like how long have you sunk into one video? Oh, good question. Um, it would probably be the car stuff. So Acura gave me the NSX for a week and between like driving the car, taking it to the track, getting all the drone shots, getting all the interior of the car shots, getting all the driving shots, getting all the rolling shots and actually evaluating the car and then putting it all together in an order that made sense. Like all of that was probably about nine or 10 days, something like that. That might be the longest I've recently spent on a video. I think that's what most people don't, don't get that haven't made the videos too is like, not only does it take all that time to like basically make a little movie, but you have to spend a moment to think about the thing you're talking about too. Like you actually have to spend some time using it and just in your own head, like what, how do I feel about it? Yeah. And, and that's like yeah. maybe the most underrated part of the video. You could have the most, totally. I've seen some really, really, really gorgeous videos that don't say anything. And I, I really feel that when it's lacking. So I do, I do spend obviously a lot of time trying to make sure we're actually making a useful video. Yeah, for sure. I, I I was kicking myself recently for my, cause I did a pixel three video where I just hadn't spent much time with it. Like I don't, I, I don't, I didn't buy one. So I was using a friends. And then after I used it, I'm like, you know what? I didn't test that camera properly at all. Like I didn't do it justice. I just like kind of worried about like, Oh, I'll make the video pretty. And I've, I'm absolutely not going to make that mistake again. Like it really, it sucks when you feel like you're not delivering any serious information because it's, it's pretty easy to just get the specs. It's pretty easy to know like what the thing is. So usually I'm looking for somebody's unique perspective and that's like the people that I like the most, I know what they're bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, actually that reminded me of like a, a general topic. I, like I, I just kind of had some notes of things I wanted to hit. I've, I heard you mention it once and I think about it all the time. So I want to see if we're on a similar page. People get super stressed out about bias in the comments. They're like, I mean, that's like, which is one of the words that shows up the most in comments is like, I either love this, this person because they're unbiased or I I hate them because they're super biased. And my, my view on it is that we, we are all biased. If you think you're watching anybody's opinion that is unbiased, you're just mistaken. They're just really good at masking it because we have preferences, you know, like I, it's like, I value the camera on the phone more than battery life or, you know, everybody's got their priority list. So the way I always think about it is like, you got to find the person that shares those priorities with you, you know, and then that's who you come back to Cause you're like, Oh, I know what you do and don't like. It's similar in this way, different in that way. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I think I've said something along those lines before. Like, yes, everyone has a bias, whether you think they do or not, but that's fine because that can be useful for calibrating yourself to knowing once you've watched a couple of videos and heard what people have said, like what they tend to like and don't like and what they prioritize So I'm pretty clear about that, I think. When I'm reviewing something or when I'm talking about something I like, 
I'll tell you why I like it. And if I don't like something, I'll tell you why I don't like it. And uh, any, any review that comes with anything they like or don't like, that right off the bat is a bias because an unbiased review is just a spec sheet, basically. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you kind of have to you go with the flow and you, you understand that everyone has some sort of a perspective they're coming from. What's the deal with the... Like, why do, why do people get so worked up about it? You know, it's just so much anger about brands and stuff, and I can't... Okay, so I kind of think about it like sports teams. It can be extremely irrational how much you like a sports team. And you, another thing is you probably only really like that team because you were sort of, you just got dropped in there, like you're in a certain area or whatever. Yeah, your parents liked it. Yeah, your parents, yeah. The fir- your first phone was this phone or whatever, so now you're, you're super into this. You're on this team. Anytime anyone justified or not takes a shot at your favorite team whether they're right or not it just doesn't like feel good you know you kind of want to just stick up for your own team so if someone doesn't like something that you like it kind of feels like they're they're not on your team in a way you kind of have to like strike back that's just kind of how i've like observed the the whole you know the the fanboy section of the internet that's just kind of how they act as like sports team fans yeah so I, i guess i don't blame them yeah. I mean, maybe it's because I don't watch sports. That's why I'm like, I don't, I can't relate to this. It's so weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, but. it can get, it can get like pretty, like more heated than you would think, but it's, it's, uh, yeah. I guess that's the way I understand it. Well, and it's something that I want, I, I'm hoping to see YouTube as a community moved more towards what I think of as like YouTube for grownups. You know how they have like the YouTube kids section? <laughs> yeah. Um, like that's where all the like brand fighting can go to me is like if if you're under uh if you're under 18 i remember feeling like that like just you know i'd kind of get kind of be a dick about bands that i like or whatever like things you're into um and i get it when you're young but like i like that there are people that are giving this more mature voice to youtube and i like you're absolutely part of it where it's not about stunts and pranks and being as loud as possible it's just like Let's just have like a real conversation. And I mean, it's cool because you're still a young guy and you're one of the more mature voices out there. But yeah, it's just something that I don't want YouTube to be thought of as only a place for children. You're only here because you're a young person and old old people don't watch YouTube because like, I'll be an old person soon. I'll probably still be watching it. Yeah, that's kind of, I guess there's a, that's just the perception of YouTube. Like if you search hard enough, you can find pretty much anything on YouTube. So if you go into let's say you're looking for tech on YouTube and you, you kind of don't really expect anything to be taken too seriously, then you can pretty easily find stuff to not take seriously. And then all your, your suspicions are confirmed and you'll just leave. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it helps to be able to find what you're actually looking for as far as like more mature content, or maybe you're just trying to find people talking about a very specific niche or something like that. Uh, if you look hard enough, you probably will find it. So yeah, it's just kind of the the upside and the downside is you're just kind of mixed in with this whole melting pot of all these different styles and hopefully you can stand out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that people shouldn't get confused that YouTube is is just one thing. There's just so many people out there and, you know, you can kind of like find the community that you want. But I mean, I found that it took me a while to, because I'm about, I'm, I don't know, more, I don't remember how old you are, but I'm about more than 10 years older than you. And there's this uh, generational gap where I think Older people never thought of YouTube as like a social network and younger people treated it that way a lot more. Like they'd become a fan, like they'd follow somebody 
and engage with them on a regular basis and kind of get into them as a personality. And anytime I talk to older people, it's like, it's not like that at all. It's like, I need to know how to repair my sink. So that's when I go and hmm. Google a how-to video or, yeah. or I'm buying a new phone and I look for it then. But somehow it, the different ages kind of chose how they look at it. And that's going to be shrinking, right? I mean, as we all kind of age into this being a more mature community, we'll all, like, I think everybody will see it in a little bit more the same way. It's pretty new. Like I, I was just in Hollywood, but like that, the whole, like the, the demographic of, of different types of media are, are pretty obvious. Like people from 40 to 60 aren't pouring hundreds of hours into YouTube every week. They're trying to get like their media elsewhere. They're reading newspapers, they're watching TV. It's different. So I think with all these younger generations coming up and, and not necessarily watching a lot of TV or reading a lot of newspapers and things like that, they turn to the more accessible on-demand stuff, which is YouTube videos and on-demand content. And that's just kind of the way it's ended up. Not to say that one is better than the other. <laughs> you can clearly be into one or the other. So That's why it's so strange to me when people have an attitude that, uh, actually, I said this exact same thing to, to Jonathan when he was on the show, that people have this attitude of, you're just on YouTube. Why are you using such a nice camera? It's yeah. like, since when is it, ju- like, why is it just YouTube? Because when it launched, people were using webcams. I mean, people, there are bigger audiences for, for certain things. Like more people will probably watch your phone review than, you know, a lot of news stations phone review, but it's totally this, I don't know. I don't know where that gap in perception comes from, not realizing how real it is, how real the numbers are, you know? Yeah. I think a little part of it might be like when, uh, Nine times out of 10, when something makes the news, it's because something bad happened or something negative. So nine times out of 10, when YouTube makes the news or when like mom or grandma hears about a YouTuber, it's probably not great. Like when you think of what the news stories have been. So it's hard to surface like the the other half of all the great stuff that's happening on YouTube and reasons to take it seriously and, and ways to enjoy incredible content, reviews, videos, short films, whatever it happens to be. So yeah, I don't know. It's that's a that's definitely a hurdle that YouTube as a company is trying to overcome, uh, and that creators on the site are also individually trying to overcome too. Yeah, it's not really a news story to say like, well, Philip DeFranco put out another normal video today of good news coverage. That's regular journalism. Like, exactly. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't get talked about openly. But but then at the same time, you know, we're as we all get older, people like people get older that have been watching YouTube this whole time. This will be normal for us. This is our TV. This is our normal default media. And so as we or people like us start getting into power at bigger media companies and start running things, I think that perception, uh, I mean, of course it'll change. Like it's, it just, it it is changing. And I think it's just that some of the people running bigger media companies haven't quite realized it yet or or, or noticed how, how significant and serious it is. It's like a wave on the horizon sort of swelling in the distance, but hasn't really crashed on the shore yet. Yeah, it's coming. Another thing I want to ask about is how have how, how things kind of changed for you as you went more from like a one man thing to working with other people now? Like you've got a bit of a team, you've got some incredibly talented filmmakers helping you out. Like how's the, yeah, they're, I can see them sitting in your background. Um, <laughs> I think I, I like that in the video here, Brandon has like sat in one position on his phone for this whole video. <laughs> um, how did that change things for you? Like, do you do things very differently now? Has it made a lot faster? I feel like it's it's been a slow evolution. So I obviously I'm super used to, I mean, this is year 10 for me. And the first seven years were just me, my camera, my computer. So I got really, really 
comfortable with what I was good at and what I could get better at and, and get, get faster with. So bring on extra hands. Obviously, the immediate impact is like, okay, now you can do some shots that you couldn't do before. Uh, now you can do uh, some things like set design, which are typically like you can do it, but it, it takes a lot of effort for a sort of a smaller impact on the video. But you can have way more fun with it now and do much more interesting uh, dynamic things. But I think in the future that continues to grow, that that turns into uh, more tasks like editing. That turns into more things like fact checking is one that came up that I like. Mm-hmm. You don't think about that a whole lot when you're just doing a regular video, but you publish it and you've watched the video like 950 times, so you don't really hear what you're saying anymore. You just kind of said it over and over in your head, and then someone watches it the first time and is like, "Oh wait, you you meant to say this?" And I'm like, "Ah, you're right, I did." So like just yeah. having extra hands, extra ears, extra brains. Uh, all of that just sort of takes a little while to melt together, but I think uh, as early as it is, it's coming along pretty well. Well, and do you feel like you always want to be part of the like hands-on filmmaking process? Like, it sounds like you still do most of the editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely. I think a lot of people. Uh, I was just talking to a bunch of YouTubers on a shoot where, like, yeah, they they're like, yeah, I handed off editing, I handed off this, I handed off that. I have someone in my studio right now who's uploading the new video. He's going to publish it, and they just don't have to do much other than host and be on camera, which is what they like doing. Um, I think in my case, not only do I enjoy editing a lot, but my editing style is such a big part of the videos. Uh, and, and my, my cinema, what do you want? Cinematography, whatever you want to call it. It's such a big part of the channel that it's, yeah, it's been part of what I do and it's been in my hands for so long that it's a bigger deal for me to change that. So yeah, that's, it's been like a curious exploration of finding out what to hand off and what to keep. And well, it's going to be so crazy to see it in a few more years. Like I, it's funny, like you say, 10 years is a long time and in another way, it's not at all. Like for the amount that the medium has developed in 10 years, let's see it in 20 years. Like things are going to, are going to go insanely far. And as people are able to sort of like scale these things up and like, you know, the direction that you're going, it's going to be so completely different from even what we think of as, as YouTube right now. Or, you know, I keep, I'm using the word YouTube as like a catch-all for internet video. Yeah, online video, yeah. I mean, I, when I started being interested in this stuff was when uh, it was still video podcast. Like my first videos online were like subscription RSS things because that's what, that's what like, you know, Twit was doing um, is, is they'd have like video podcasts. I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and they got really good at that, and that's still like that's still their thing. Like they're very good at it. So, yeah, there's just there's an infinite amount of of formats and and mediums and ways to do things, but they kind of just all fall in the bucket of online content. You don't even have to say video because there's there's not only is there photography, but there's like podcasts and there's uh, VR <laughs> experiences <laughs> and like right. AR and things like that. So yeah, there's just a there's a lot. A lot of people I've heard get caught up on the term content creators. Like that's something I've, I've heard a lot of people complain about. And personally, like I always find that it just, it's kind of accurate. We might do a lot of different things it, and it's pretty broad. It's yeah. useful to have a word that just means a bunch of them. Like there's a grouping of like, yeah, photography, podcasts, all that stuff. And I've always just found that I like seeing, like, I just want to try them all. And even like for me, podcasting was like a tech driven thing. I like the gear. I like nice microphones. I like, you know, I want to, I, I might as well have just been like producing 
a real musician's album or something. Cause like, all I really want to do is like play with nice stuff. But, um, another thing I was kind of wondering about is how much, how much do you end up like working? Like, are you in the, you know, hustle 24 seven, no sleep, no like grind, the nonstop grind. No, I don't think so. So like, I obviously enjoy the production and it's, it's a pretty time consuming thing, but I, I'm pretty good. I think about like, keeping it healthy <laughs> like we mm-hmm. have so we have weekends and I, I'm, I play ultimate so I, I'm pretty much always out somewhere on a weekend completely away from tech and then during the weeks we kind of just come in and I'm not on any schedule that's another thing is a lot of youtubers I've talked to are on like a certain specific schedule because that publishing schedule is more predictable for the viewers so they can come back at a certain mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. makes perfect sense I'm not on that schedule so I just uh, we just upload when it's done with that comes the downside that there's about nine or 10 videos that I could upload like right now that would be <laughs> right on time just because yeah. we're going through them without it. We're not like rushing through any sort of pace. So there's things that might fall behind, but, uh, this episode is brought to you by Cronaby, makers of the most beautiful connected watches in the world. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, there are other watches with more smart features. Like you can find computers on your wrist that can just do more things because they have a big screen. But you know what? In the end, they do still look like computers on your wrist. What I love about Cronaby is that it prioritizes the experience over the list of features. And it does have a pretty great feature list. It does things like notifications. It can walk you home. It has a music player. It can take photos. It has a step counter. It syncs with IFTT. (laughs) But at the same time, they're extremely fashionable watches made for men and women out of really premium materials, and they can go with absolutely any outfit. And yeah, I do own and use full-on smartwatches. They have their place. They can do much more complicated things, but they also are much more complicated and need to be charged every day. The Chronobi has a battery life of two years. You don't need to be plugging this in every night or babysitting your watch. So instead of worrying about its technical details, you can just press a button to start and stop your podcast or hold down the crown to trigger Find My Phone. I really do love these watches. I've made a few videos about them. So go to chronobi.com or better yet, Message them on Twitter and tell them you love their watches and you heard about them on the podcast. And thanks again to Cronaby for supporting the show. Okay, let's let's hit a few more current topics. Let's talk about some things that came out recently. Um, the last thing I played with was was an iPad Pro, uh, the new one. So that's what's like on my mind. I was I was doing this whole um, yeah. What Apple wants the story they want to tell is like, look, now we're really ready to offer a, a real workflow for professionals. Like you can, you can really start creating on these devices more than you could before. First of all, have you traditionally created on iPads at all? I mean, I'm sure not, yeah, not your main videos, but like, do you, do you play around with it? Do you ever do anything like that? No, I've been a mostly consuming person on my iPad. And I envy, I, I think it's really interesting that people can do like their main craft on an iPad, which is really cool. But yeah, no, I've, I've been all about consumption. And so for me, this iPad as a consumer is the best iPad ever, but it's just an iPad still. Like right. it's not doing anything drastically different. So I kind of have to like outsource and, and ask other creative professionals like, well, how's, is, this, is this very different for you? I know Adobe's doing some interesting things. But yeah, I love this iPad. I just don't think it's telling that different of a story than the right. last year or two of them. I think part of it might even be the coincidence of timing that Adobe is about to really be maturing their offering on, on iPad. I mean, there's been, there's been Photoshop versions for iPad before and iPhone, but they're not, they're not real. The real Photoshop 
could change kind of everything. Um, and, and especially having uh, Lightroom getting better and better that uh, you, and actually, and the speed. Have you looked at, there was this great Ars Technica article breaking down uh, the benchmarks and they actually talked to one of the engineers. But when I, when I look at those benchmarks, what, I don't know what computers are anymore. When some of the multi-core performance is beating out, it's so that's that's going to be. I haven't reviewed or published my review yet, but that's going to be a big part of it. So these benchmarks and like just I did. I talked to Apple and I talked to the chip designers and and a lot of the engineers involved, and it's pretty clear that this A12X Bionic is an incredible chip, right? And it's powering the same iOS that I've we've been running for a couple of years. It's, it's granted, it's gotten some, you know, multi-window features and it's a little more advanced and it's got Siri and it's gotten better. But man, I would love to see a chip like this powering a MacBook, powering a MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see the, the experience blown up to a, an operating system that I actually do create with. Because as of right now, I mean, it's not like these iMacs are bad, but I would be really interested if Apple started to pull some strings and uh, switch to an ARM-based chip for that kind of stuff. So that's an interesting future. That's just because of the benchmarks. You see how much better at Silicon they're getting. Um, but also, yeah, the, the iPad as a result is just this blazing fast, like super smooth, like incredible experience. So I have no complaints about it. Well, my favorite quote about it was on Daring Fireball. He was saying that uh, it's this alternate reality where Moore's Law didn't stop progress like now we are still getting like doubling speeds every year which i kind of gave up on that for real computers i'm like all right i'll just take my incremental updates because that's all i got but the ipads are still moving that fast they're still doubling and it's unbelievable but i mean there'll be huge challenges like uh, you know rewriting uh mac to move away to a whole new architecture would be insane um (laughs) so i don't know i mean but they they also really didn't talk about intel at all in the last keynote which felt like a bit of a yeah, you yeah. can kind of see them like lobbing it up to eventually like set that point, but you know, who knows how far into the future that might be. That's just like a like an optimistic version of me that's kind of silently hoping for that. Well, and the the thing that I did enjoy most about the new iPads was the the USB-C can help a lot for for pro stuff I found. So I mean, I've already got these dongles for my MacBook. You, you know, my Sony has USB-C on it. Like more and more things are are having this one magical port that promised us the future and being able to use all those same cables and, and plug them straight in because like I never went and bought the lightning SD card reader and I never would have. So I was never ingesting my photos to an iPad like, you know, because I, ha- I had an iPad Pro, but I would never even try because I'm missing that little piece of hardware and I don't want to spend money on it. But now when everything you've already got can just start working with it like a normal computer. I think it'll be an, it could become an important step for a certain type of professional. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to that too. And I've used a lot of things like I have the full size USB adapter and the SD card adapter. And also the reverse charging is kind of great. Although I don't, so I was just out of town for a couple of days and I forgot my lightning cable, but I did have a USB-C charger. And with that, I was able to charge my MacBook pro, my iPad, my pixel, uh, so I was I was set except for the lightning stuff. So yeah, it, it's 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 getting there. Um, and my little mini ecosystem of USB C accessories grows a little bit every couple of weeks. So it's been yeah, promising. Yeah, 
It's getting better. Yeah, I just actually did that on my last trip. I forgot my dongle and uh, was kind of saved by being able to plug the camera straight in with my power cord. But then there's the whole thing of the the worst of it is that there's nothing external about the cables that tell you this one is going to carry this much power and this one's going to be this speed. And like, yeah, that's the frustrating part. You just kind of have to hope that the one you bring is good enough for absolutely everything. (laughs) And then what else is new this year? You're on the Pixel lately. That's kind of the phone you've been enjoying. How do you feel like the cameras are looking across the the best of this year? Like, what's your kind of impression when you take a photo out of the Pixel versus iPhone versus whatever else you want to yeah. include? Yeah, I mean, so from what I've tested, which is, I mean, iPhone XR lately, but iPhone XS Max being my, like, usual go-to iPhone, Pixel 3 XL, um, I prefer, so I, there's, a, there's a lot of software things that I like about what Pixel 3 does with photos. So I prefer... Uh, by default, if I'm just going to take a photo on my phone, Pixel 3. iPhone 10 and 10s like have a, a quality to them that, I don't know, for lack of a better description, looks like an iPhone photo. Like they all do the same raising of the shadows. Mm-hmm. They all have the same like dynamic range and colors, and they're just iPhone photos, which I think are like firmly in second place for me. And then there's been some interesting stuff. I just got, I was so. I tested Huawei Mate 20 Pro for a little bit at a briefing, but I didn't get to take any photos on it. But I've seen some great results from that, so I'm going to test that. The hydrogen, not so not so impressive. Like it's not there yet. Yeah, not there yet. And there's one other that I was. Uh, I mean, OnePlus 60 is basically the same hardware plus some better software. Like the theme is software, mm-hmm. so you find that the better software companies are doing better cameras. Like period. And that's just kind of been the overarching, like that's what that's why Pixel 3 has been so good for me. It's funny, there's things about the iPhone photos that I think a lot of people um, have, have disliked when they look at it that for me are qualities. So for example, the lifted blacks. When I, when I first took those, my first test photos, I was like, this looks weird. Like these photos don't look, like there's not a normal contrast ratio in it. But as I, as I took more and more of these iPhone photos and I'd look at these lifted shadows, it would remind me of shooting log that like it kind of flattens the image and then you're able to put more back into it once you edit it. And so maybe I'm liking it more because I'm always going to process my photos. Like I'm always going to run them through a filter. I don't really, I don't really post anything uh, straight out of camera unless it's a camera test, right? Unless I'm trying to show off exactly what it can do. Right. But I mean, so yeah, in that way, like I can for sure see why people that aren't going to do the editing would by far prefer the pixel. Like that contrast is much more what you want. It's much more traditional in a way. Um, But I also think that a lot of the, like, even though I'm doing all these comparison videos, I feel like a lot of it's getting more unnecessary as these cameras just get so good. Like there are so many really, really excellent cameras that people, your decision often should not always be driven by the camera anymore. Like choose one of the the phones that have the best camera because there's a few of them that are all fantastic. But then there's so many other things that are really important. So for me, it's like, you know, I live in iOS. Like I've I've been on Apple for for so long that for me, shifting platforms, it's just like, it's not really going to happen. So I don't really try to pretend that I can give like a really fair analysis of what it's like to use Android because not using it often means... I kind of have a broken perspective of it, right? Like, I don't know when is it Android's fault and when is it my fault. But, um, you know, I, I really think that, like, a lot of the differences are, the cameras are different, but 
they're great. They're so good. Now. Yeah. And not, yeah. Different, but not necessarily better or worse, just different. Yeah. Like, so when you compare like lifted shadows or a little bit of a flatter image that you can create a contrasty image out of versus like a more contrasty baked in image that has different color science, like they're all pretty damn good. I agree. So it's like, it's mostly a preference thing. And that kind of translates to some other parts of the phone too, just as far as like, I like a certain type of display and some people might like the super saturated and beautiful Samsung AMOLEDs or some might like the more toned down, more natural, neutral looking iPhone LCDs, things like that. They're all actually pretty good, (laughs) but you might just prefer one over the other. Yeah, just go look at the one that you like more. I mean, I was saying the other day that I, just the way my eyes work, I perceive the difference in like Super Retina or 120, like faster refresh rates, that is more visible to me than OLED. I could actually, a really good LCD display with faster refresh, I would prefer that over the perfect blacks of an OLED. I'm with you on that. So iPad Pro, there was a lot of people, especially in my original video, and obviously with like all those comments, you get a various wide range of people saying things, (laughs) but a lot of people like, why doesn't this iPad Pro have an OLED display? It could have been so great if it had an OLED display. Like, this is an incredible screen, and it's not Mm -hmm. OLED, but the blacks get pretty dark. The colors are kind of great, and it's 120 hertz refresh rate, and it's just so much better than any OLED that I've looked at this year. So I'm I'm not mad that it's not OLED. Well, and you wouldn't get, I mean, that size I don't think is even available. Like, I kind of looked around a bit, and I don't think there's that many pixels being pushed through any OLEDs right now. Very Um, expensive if it was. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing. It's like, oh, it's not OLED, but I... You also aren't going to pay an extra thousand yeah. dollars for this. If screen, it was so. OLED, they'd be like, "Why is it three thousand dollars? Why did they make yeah. such an expensive tablet?" Yeah. So, do you have anything else that you're just playing with or enjoying lately? Any any cool gear that I don't know about? I mean, iPad Pro is my newest toy, so I'm really into it. The review of it is coming up, but I think a lot of the thoughts I've echoed here will be present in that video. Where like, I, I'm curious what you think of the design because it's it's kind of a big difference from previous oh, iPads. I, I love it because it's iPhone 5 to me, which okay, yeah. I'm on- I've always thought it was my favorite phone design. Like, I loved the iPhone 5. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the, like, renders of what people imagined a future iPad would look like. Like, unnecessarily thin and perfectly square, but kind of like a, 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 stencil, a stencil sketch of, like, yeah, maybe we can make it six millimeters thin, whatever, and totally right. flat. Like, that's what it is now. I really like it. I think the design is is pretty interesting, but I'm a fan just holding it, using it. Yeah. I'm just happy when I'm using an iPad Pro. I was really annoyed at the lack of headphone. I mean, it's, every time a headphone jack disappears, I'm a little yes. sadder. But I did hear, uh, again, yes, going back to podcasts, this is on ATP there. Uh, apparently, it's that the display can't fit the jack under it. So the, it's because of the shrinking of the bezels. That's where the space would be missing. The whole thing is so thin that you can't have the display and a jack going under the display. I believe that. And I, I feel like they, they give a, a different reason for not having a headphone jack every time they take it away. Like not only Apple, but like every other company. Yes, we yeah. couldn't fit it this time because the vibration <laughs> motor is twice as big. And we can, yeah, whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, but it's for me, it's been, it's kind of like notches where I've used a phone with a notch and I've used a phone without a headphone jack for so long that I got my wireless headphones, I got my wireless accessories and now I'm living the wireless life and I'm fine without a headphone jack. Yeah. So it kind of looks weird. It's, this goes back to like bias where like, so a new company will come along with a new product and they'll get rid of the headphone jack and everyone's up in arms about it. 
but I already made that switch over. So I'm like mm-hmm. not fuming with anger like I should be like, you know, so yeah, uh, I come from a place where the, the iPad not having a headphone jack is literally no problem for me. I didn't use one for the last like year, but for a lot of professionals, like an iPad pro, a professional tablet shouldn't yeah. have a headphone jack, but that's when I would start fuming is if my laptops or my desktops start losing it. Like I, I mean, I'm using it right now. I'm plugged in. Yeah. So on my desktop, yeah. let me keep that. Like there's clearly enough space for it and it's commonly used. Honestly, and this might be weird to say, I don't think I'd miss it on my laptop either. I don't edit on my laptop. So right. there's like no reason left. I was just on a plane with my with my MacBook Pro for a while, wireless headphones, just because that's what I'm on now. But do you not, so you don't edit on laptop, do you not edit on the go at all? I mean, definitely when you're at keynotes and stuff, you... As of late, <laughs> I've been bringing an iMac Pro with me. And and for a while, yes, I was editing on a 15-inch MacBook Pro. I, I would always get, whenever they updated it, the, the newest, highest-end, absolute maxed-out version. And so it would be like, so yeah, like an Apple event I would go to, and I'd bring in all these R3Ds. And I'd shoot at the highest possible compression ratio, and I'd try to make it as easy on the computer as possible, but I'm still shooting raw. And I could edit, and I could get through it, but once I hit render, that transcoding process was many hours long. Right. And so, like, yeah, it was like hit render, go to sleep, wake up, hope it's done rendering by then. If not, eat breakfast, wait for it, wait (laughs) for it. It's done, upload that. And I'd be like, by that time, it's like 15 hours later, like, this could have been done a while ago. And I'd get the newest, fastest MacBook Pro, and it would be just like Apple says, 10% faster. But 10% faster on a six-hour export is now five hours and 25 minutes. Like, it's not really making a big difference <laughs> for me. Uh, so, yes, lately I did start bringing iMac Pro, or at least the last Apple event I brought iMac Pro. And I exported and created two videos in one night before going to sleep. And that's not something I would have been able to do otherwise. Yeah. So I, I no longer edit on the go with MacBook Pro. If I'm shooting red, I am editing on a desktop. That's kind of insane. I would love to see the heart, like acceleration of external GPUs pick up to the point where, like right now, it looks like Final Cut doesn't reach out to them. So like it's not that doesn't quite seem like an option yet where you could bring an enclosure and Trust a me, laptop. I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways to not have to bring a 45 pound, yeah. 70 pound Pelican case with me on the plane. So yes, I, I hope for I cross my fingers for Final Cut updates every day, and I, I look at what external GPUs are doing. But as of right now, it's five hours versus twenty five minutes, and the choice is clear for me. Marquez, thank you so much for uh, talking to me. This is super fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on.